Welcome to Horses for Future. Horse people can make a difference in the climate change crisis. Together, we're learning how. My name is Alexandra Kurland. I'm the author of the recently released The Click That Teaches, a step-by-step guide in pictures. That's the new revised edition of my book. And I've also written many other books and produced many DVDs on clicker training horses. In the previous podcasts, I'm joined by Amanda Scott. Amanda is a veterinarian, an author, a shamanic teacher, and a climate crisis activist. I've been very privileged to have her join me in these podcasts, but for this particular podcast, you're going to be listening just to me. I'm recording this in the middle of January of 2020, and I feel as though I should start this podcast out by saying, here we go again. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, we're at the start of a very long presidential campaign. And before you flap your ears closed and reach for the off button, thinking, I don't want to know about politics. I don't want to think about politics. Let me just say, that's not what I'm going to be talking about, at least not in the usual way, and not in a way that makes you have to choose one side over another, unless we're talking about being on the side of the planet. In the past few podcasts, in the conversations that I've been having with Amanda Scott, we've been looking at how you move from the private actions that we can each take to help mitigate the climate change crisis. Things like using the equicentral system for managing our horse pastures. So instead of breaking down the soil, we're building it up. We're looking at ways that we can increase the health of the soil so it's sequestering more carbon. Both in the podcasts and in the Horses for Future Facebook group, we've been learning about things like mycorrhizal fungi and glomalin. These are are things that I never heard about until recently. So if you aren't familiar with those terms, that's a neat rabbit hole to go down, but we're not going to be going down that particular rabbit hole in this podcast. Suffice it to say that when people talk about sequestering carbon in the soil, it's good to understand something about how it works. It means that you can come from a stronger place when we're talking about some of the changes that need to be made. So that's definitely something that I want to be exploring in the Horses for Future podcast. But for this particular episode, What I want to explore are not so much what are the private actions that we can all take that collectively can make a difference, but I want to look at how do we talk about them. So the more you learn about the climate change crisis, the more you start to feel that it's not enough to do things on a private basis. When you start really seeing what's going on, You can't unfeel, you can't unsee some of the really grim things that we're learning about. You can't watch the news reports from Australia and feel complacent that, you know, that's somebody else's backyard, not mine. We're all beginning to realize that climate change is in everyone's backyard. We're seeing a sea change happening and people are really beginning to talk about climate change. It's it's no longer something that sort of sits at the bottom of 
people's priorities when they fill out questionnaires on what they want to see the political candidates talking about. Climate change now, it's rising to the top of what's important to people. And that's exciting. That's important. And that's also where we come in. Horse people can make a difference in shaping the conversation and in helping people get to the point where they can really listen to one another. And that's what this podcast is about. We're going to be exploring how we can shift from private actions to more public actions. We're going to look at how we can do it in a way that is effective, that feels safe, that feels comfortable, and that opens doors instead of having them slammed shut in our face. There are so many people who don't want to hear about what's going on. They don't want to listen. They don't want to know. And what I want to explore are what are some of the ways that we can begin to talk to other people in a way that's effective. So that's where the political campaign comes in, because I look at it as essentially a metaphor. What is so clear is that we are becoming a very divided nation. We can't talk to one another. As soon as you start to talk about politics, instead of it being an interesting intellectual discussion, it becomes, oh no, don't want to go there. Don't want to hear it. If it's outside my echo chamber, I don't want to talk to you. There are friendships that have been broken because of this. You sit there and think, how could anyone possibly believe, fill in the blank? How could someone possibly support, fill in the blank? And that's how I was feeling throughout the 2016 political campaign, especially during the primaries. I kept looking at the candidates thinking, how could anyone possibly support this individual? or believe what they were saying. And I'm not talking about one side of the political divide or the other. I'm sure whether you give yourself the label in this country of conservative or progressive, when you're looking at candidates that represent the other side of the coin, you're thinking, how could someone possibly support fill in the blank? And so I was really puzzled. and. Around that time, one of my friends sent me an article written by the cognitive linguist George Lakoff. It was an article that was available on the internet, and the title was something like Understanding Trump. And when I read it, not only did I find it extremely helpful in helping me to understand what was going on in the political world, it also helped me to understand a lot of what I was seeing in the horse training world. So I went on to read several of Lakoff's books. Two that I would definitely recommend are The Brain's Politics and Don't Think of an Elephant. Um, they're very easy reads, but boy, are they fascinating books. And coming from the horse training world, I found they really resonated with me. They helped me to understand behavior that I see all the time, both in barns that I visit and on the internet. It made sense of a lot of things that I was seeing or that I was hearing that other people were experiencing. So in 2017, I wrote 
a long blog post that I put up in my blog, the clickercenterblog.com, in which I described Lakoff's work and the relevancy that it had for horse training. And then I went on to create several conference presentations. I gave various versions of these presentations at the conferences that I was doing that winter. I, I think I used it at the Clicker Expo and snuck it into the Wolf Conference and also at the Art and Science of Animal Training Conference. And every time I gave these presentations, I got the most tremendous feedback. People told me that it clarified so many things for them. And I would hear back later that it was a life-changing presentation, which is pretty astounding to hear. And I have to say, it's really reinforcing to hear something like that. But I understood what people meant by these comments. And as Amanda and I have been talking about how you begin to move from the private into more public actions, I've been thinking more and more about the Lakoff work. So I want to share with you some of what he's presenting, because I think it's important. If we don't learn how to talk to one another, we really will tear ourselves apart. And the planet needs us to figure out how to use this gift of communication to create real connections and real potential for moving forward with positive change. So this podcast is going to be a departure from what I normally do. Normally, I would have a conversation with someone in which we would discuss Lakoff's work. Instead, I'm going to share with you the major portions of those presentations that I was giving. I may leave out some of the sections that are really specific to clicker training because that's not what this podcast is about. I'll I'll see as I go through this material what I feel really fits in. But what I'm going to be doing is using the connections to horse training to help us understand Lakoff's work. And I'm, I'm using the horse training because that's the lens through which I originally viewed his work. And just as it was helpful for me, it may be helpful for some of you. But the bottom line reason that I want to look at his work is because I think he offers us some very straightforward guidelines that can help us to be better communicators. His conclusions are very much in line with good horse training. So the bottom line is we need to focus on what we want. That's easy to say, and as we go through Lakoff's work, I think you're going to gain much more of an appreciation of what this means and why it's so important. So bear with me as I go through some basics. I promise you this will all tie into climate change. Everything is connected. But to get to that that conclusion, I have a lot of dots to connect. So let's get started. Oh, and I should add that I recorded most of this talk when I had a very sore throat. So if I sound scratchy, it's because I really was. So hopefully you'll bear with the sound and we'll still get to the real core of what Lakoff has to say. Anyway, here we go. 
So what he's really looking at are metaphors. And I love metaphors. I use metaphors a lot. I use them a lot in my teaching. My, my writing is riddled with metaphors. And there, by the way, is a metaphor right there. So metaphors, what you find is they're, they're like flies in a tack room. When you really start thinking about them, you find that they're everywhere. And the question is, why? Why is our speech so filled with metaphors that we're no longer even aware of them? Why do our brains love metaphors? How do they form? Where do they come from? And then, very importantly, how do they influence our behavior and the decisions we make? So these are some of the questions that Lakoff has been exploring. And originally, I was asking this question. How does an understanding of metaphors help us to be better horse trainers? Now I'm asking, how can an understanding of metaphors help us in the climate change crisis? So let's start with some basics. Let's look at what Lakoff refers to as primary metaphors. So for this, we need to look a little bit at what the neuroscientists are telling us. So what we're learning is that an infant is born with huge numbers of random neural connections. And these neural connections are activated as the infant experiences and explores his environment. Neurons that are activated regularly are strengthened and others are pruned and discarded. So we get to that wonderful mantra of neurons that fire together, wire together, which means that your experiences literally create the structural details of your brain. And it's through this process that for each of us, our primary metaphors are formed. So you could ask a question, what do prices, your weight, temperature, and buildings all have in common? The answer is that quantity is linked with verticality. So what in the world does that mean? Well, let's think about an experience that probably all of us listening to this podcast have had. That as a small child, every time you saw your glass being filled with milk, you were seeing the connection between an increase in quantity and the height of the milk in the glass. So you were strengthening that neural connection, that association between quantity and verticality. And think about the number of times over the course of your life that you would have seen this happen. So you can't help but automatically link quantity with verticality. You're not making a conscious choice about your words when as an adult, you refer to stock prices that go up. And look at how universal this kind of metaphor is, that prices, weight, temperature, they rise and fall for all of us. 
We understand this metaphor because we've all watched our parents filling a glass of milk for us. So the structure of your brain determines not just what you think, but also, and this is really important, what you cannot think. So we have this, this idea of a free thinker. We want to be free thinkers. But when you start looking at the metaphors, you see that it's really a myth, that how we view the world, the, the metaphors that help us to make sense of what we are experiencing are there because of very early experiences. And we're not always even aware of these connections. So if we look at other primary metaphors, we have affection is warmth. And again, our language reveals the metaphor. So you warm up to someone. We have relationships that run hot and cold. A generous person is warm-hearted, but you would avoid a colleague because he's so cold-hearted. And Lakoff would say that these associations begin so early in our life experiences that we're not even aware of them. So where does this, this metaphor of affection is warmth come from? Well, when you were an infant and your mother held you, you experienced the physical warmth of being against her body as you were experiencing her affection. These two things became linked together. So metaphorical thinking is both unavoidable and largely unconscious. So another concept that Lakoff has is that of source and target domains. So a source domain refers to physical experiences. So as an infant, when you were held in your mother's arm, the physical experience would be the warmth that you felt by resting up against her body. The target domain is more abstract. So that would be more of the affection that you felt. And without being aware that this is happening, the connections are being created between the physical experiences and the more abstract ones. So our understanding of abstract concepts becomes linked to elements from the physical domain. The words we choose are an outward manifestation of these connections. So in cognitive linguistics, metaphoric mapping occurs when elements from the source domain, that's the more physical of the two linked experiences, become mapped onto the abstract target domain. So here's a quote from George Lakoff's The Brain's Politics. When we use a metaphor, we are focusing a narrow beam on an abstract concept. Our understanding of that concept is generated from within the funnel of the physical source domain. And here's the really important piece that we want to take away from, from this quote. Metaphors both hide and highlight things that are inherent to the target domain. So it's a bit like putting blinders on a horse. There are things that 
you can see and other things that are blocked from your awareness. So here's another quote from George Lakoff. The metaphors we use determine what aspects of any given issue we will focus on and what aspects our minds will simply ignore. Different source domains are not used simultaneously. Your brain will choose one over the other, and this choice is usually entirely unconscious. Since different metaphoric source domains will always both highlight and hide different aspects of the thing we reason about, metaphoric language has a huge impact on our perception of reality. If a given metaphor is used again and again, then that metaphor becomes our primary way of perceiving the target domain. The mapping simply becomes part of our common sense, our only unquestionable and inherently rightful shared understanding of the issue. And again, those are quotes from George Lakoff. So what he's saying is that metaphors can create realities in our minds that we don't even notice. So again from Lakoff, we are oblivious to the workings of our own reasoning. So what do we do with all of this? How do we use it? How do we apply it? So let's begin by looking at how Lakoff used these metaphors to help us understand what was going on in our political systems in the United States. And then we'll look a little bit at the metaphors for horse training and see how that can bring us around to an understanding of how we can use this to frame our conversations with other people in a way that opens doors instead of closing them. So. Let's begin. What Lakoff really focused on is this metaphor of the nation of as family. So what he is saying is that long before you were ever aware of national governments and of politics, you were aware of the authority of your parents. That within your family, your parents governed as in controlled and influenced your life. They set the rules and they taught you some version of right from wrong. So the metaphoric map that you learned within your family structure becomes your template for how society as a whole should be structured. And what emerges out of this is the nation as family metaphor. And you see this again uh, reflected in our language. And you see it as something that is used and understood in many different cultures. So we have the founding fathers, we have homeland security, we send our sons and daughters to war. In other cultures there's Mother Russia, there's the German fatherland. There's these family metaphors are very easy to spot. They are there to be found. So what does that, where does that take us? What does that do for us? Well, Lakoff is presenting 
two primary models. He's looking at the strict father family and the nurturant parent family. Now, I know there are many people when they look at Lakoff's work, they say, well, you know, it's not that simple. There, there, there aren't these two black and white uh, models for understanding our society. But I think it really does give us a good entry point. And certainly our politics seem to be, you know, we, we're a two-party system. And yes, there are many independents in the middle, and, and, and there are many different flavors of Democrats and Republicans, and there are many different, you know, how there's a, a wide spectrum of political beliefs. So it's not as black and white as these two models would suggest, but they are a good starting point. And those of us who are in the positive reinforcement training world, it helps us to understand the dichotomy that exists within the, the horse world. And again, this podcast is not about horse training. This, this is about climate change. So I don't want in this discussion to be making anybody feel uncomfortable or to think, well, if I don't train like her, I'm not welcome. That's not the case at all. We can have very different procedures and training techniques with our horses and still come together in a discussion of climate change. So that is not what this is about. But it's interesting to help to understand how we can talk to one another by looking at these different models. And that, to me, is what's important. So so let's begin with Lakoff's strict father model. This is what he's proposing. So in this model, he says the father is the head of the family. He's the legitimate authority, and his authority is not to be challenged. And the family needs such moral authority because the world is a dangerous place. So the father, as the legitimate authority of the family, knows right from wrong. And he is naturally good and morally upright. So it's his responsibility to teach his children so they develop moral strength. The mother cannot do the job of the father because in this model, women are seen as being less strong. So it's the duty of the mother to support her husband in his authority. And underpinning all of this is the world is assumed to be innately competitive. So it's the father's responsibility to compete successfully in the world so he can take care of his family. He must also teach his children how to compete with others so they can become successful. So in this worldview, the world is seen as both dangerous and competitive. There are absolute rights and wrongs. The father teaches the children right from wrong, and he communicates this to the children in a very hierarchical way. He sets strict rules, and he requires absolute obedience. Obedience to the father is seen as moral behavior in children. Bad behavior 
in children is always punished. So punishment is seen as absolutely crucial. It's the parent's moral duty to punish bad behavior in children. This is the only way they will develop the discipline and strength that is needed to compete successfully in this dangerous world. And since children are born bad, they will learn how to be good only through punishment. Now, when he says, since children are born bad, what that means is they're born undisciplined. They want to do whatever feels good to them. So they tend to want to indulge themselves. And that means that it's the parent's responsibility to teach them right from wrong. That self-indulgence is categorically wrong. And children don't know this when they are born. So it's only through punishment that children learn strength and self-discipline. So punishment is viewed not as a lack of love, but as a sign of love. It is the parent's moral duty to punish their children. And parents who don't punish their children, who fail to teach them that wrong behaviors result in painful consequences, are regarded as immoral and irresponsible. They're bad parents. They're the parents whose children are running wild in the grocery stores, pulling all the cereal boxes off the shelves. So, no, mustn't have that. So, punishment helps children become self-disciplined and morally strong. And everyone can be successful. If you have enough moral strength, you can make it. So, people's economic success is proof of their moral strength. People who are not successful are lacking in moral strength and self-discipline. They are morally weak. And people who are morally weak are bad people who deserve their poverty. So that's from George Lakoff's The Brain's Politics. That's a summary of what he describes as the strict father model. Now, when I read this, I thought, this is fascinating. And it's one of those, if the shoe fits, wear it. Because it sounds eerily like traditional command-based, force-based horse training. If you substitute a few words, you come to this. The trainer is the legitimate authority, and his authority is not to be challenged. Obedience to the trainer is required. It is upheld through punishment. Bad behavior from the horse is always punished. The trainer teaches the horse right from wrong, and he communicates this to the horse in a hierarchical way. Punishment is seen as absolutely crucial. It is the trainer's duty to punish bad behavior in the horse. Since horses are born bad, meaning undisciplined, they will learn how to be good only through punishment. So you can see from a horse training perspective how much my ears were perking forward when I was reading Lakoff's work because in the training world that, that I'm exploring, there is a great divide between those of us who are really drawn to 
the positive reinforcement training. And then we see others who regard the, the use of treats in training and so on as really not just ineffective, but wrong, bad. Uh, and so why is there this split? When, when you are looking at something that is science-based, that you know, we can bring out the data that supports these methods as, a, as an effective way to train, why is there so such resistance when we start sharing this work? And what the Lakoff work did is it helped me to understand this. Now, why is this important? And why is this relevant? Well, when I first started sharing clicker training, clicker training was not part of the horse world. It really did not, it, you know, yes, there had been people before I ever started dabbling with clicker training who had clicker trained horses. Karen Pryor, who wrote Don't Shoot the Dog and was one of the uh, pioneers of, this, of the use of a marker signal paired with positive reinforcement, which is what clicker training is, that she was one of the, the pioneers in marine mammal training. And she, while she was figuring out how to train dolphins at Sea Life Park back in the 50s and the early 60s, she was also training her Welsh ponies using this technology. And there were other people as well who had an understanding of this training and also had, had horses, but nobody was making it public. Nobody was writing books about it or articles about it or sharing it widely within the horse world. So when I stumbled across it, it was not something where I could go to the bookshelf and pull down a book on clicker training. And the internet was in its infancy, so there wasn't Facebook, there wasn't you know all of these resources that we have today. So I just went out to the barn and started experimenting and found that wow, my horses really thrived with this approach to training and my clients were enjoying it. We were all enjoying it and we just kept exploring what, how you could use this marker signal paired with positive reinforcement with the horses and what it meant. And over time, what developed was this very complete, complex, rich, wonderful, dynamic training program that is clicker training for your horse. And when I started writing about it and sharing it on the internet, what I knew was that I couldn't push against what other people were doing. So I might look at a training system, a training method, something someone was doing with a horse. And we'll take some extreme examples of maybe they were tying a horse's leg up or tying the nose around to the saddle and I, maybe I shouldn't use those examples because I know that they're still in use but what I what I knew is that something that to me was just horrifying that if I came out and pushed against it and said you know you are wrong you mustn't do that this is terrible it's you know it's cruel it's whatever that if I said what I really felt about some of the things that I was seeing, that if I pushed against them, they would push against me. 
And that's just human nature. And I was the new kid on the, on the block. Clicker training was the new kid. And if they started pushing against what I was trying to put out there, they would just, it, clicker training would have been crushed. So I've been, you know, uh, the, the, my website went up in 1996. I've been at this for a long time. And what I've been learning is how to focus on what it is that I want to share, what it is that I want to teach, and not pushing against what someone else is doing. So I don't have to make somebody else wrong in order to present my work. And that's what that's part of the skill that we as horse trainers, and particularly those of us in the positive reinforcement community, that we're really learning how to focus on what we want and to talk about that. And that's the skill, that's the piece that I want to share here. And what the Lakoff work is doing is helping us to understand the underpinnings of that, of why that is so important and why what happens when we start to focus on and talk about what, in quotes, the other is doing that we don't like. That the more you focus on that, the stronger you make it. And we need to strengthen the things that are going to help the planet. And the more we focus on what we don't like and push against what we don't want, in many ways, the stronger we make it. So that's why I want to share with you this Lakoff work. And I'm going to be sharing it from this perspective of the horse training because that's that's how I originally heard it. That was my metaphor. And maybe by sharing it in this way, there will be things that resonate with you that will be of value. And then we'll have some more discussions and conversations about how we how we frame both what we say and how we act in terms of being effective in this climate change. This seems like a good place to pause. There's much more to share from the Lakoff work. So far, I've defined the strict father metaphor. That leaves the other side of the coin, the nurturant parent model. So next time, we'll see what that means and what it adds to our ability to understand and talk to one another effectively about the climate change crisis. If you want to read more about Lakoff's work, I put an article I wrote up in the sequestercarbon.com site. I wrote it for my Click That Teaches blog in January of 2017. So you can read it either at sequestercarbon.com or you can look for it and other articles I've written about Lakoff's work in my blog, theclickercenterblog.com. Just do a search within the blog for Lakoff and you'll turn up the articles. And if you want to go straight to the horse's mouth, you can begin with Don't Think of an Elephant and Your Brain's Politics, both by George Lakoff. So thank you for listening. 
do please share these podcasts. The larger the community, the more influence we have. Remember, horse people can make a difference. <laughs>